Well, hello, how are we? We doing good? Good. Today is the last message in a series of messages that we have now had five weeks of, or this will be the fifth week, called Welcome to Our Family. We've been talking about what does it mean to be a part of the global church? What does it mean to be a part of the global family of God? Then how that shows up in a local expression where we are a part of the local family because we are a part of the global family. And then specifically over the last two weeks, we can talk about what does it look like here at our family? What is the mission and vision of our church? What is it that we have for you, your role in the family? And then today we're going to talk about actually joining our family. And so there's going to be a message that I'm going to talk about, which again, just kind of a catch you up quickly in case you haven't been here. This message will also be a part of our, what we're just calling our welcome track process. This will be session three, where people will go through these three sessions to actually become a part of our church. You have to do the first two sessions to become a team member or a group member, and that process will be rolling out this week. And then also, once you go through those two, then you go through the third session, then you can actually join our family. Because we want you to know some healthy expectations that we have for you and healthy expectations you can have for us and understand who we are and what's going on here at our church before you make a decision to join. So that's what I'm gonna be talking through today. We've got some scripture as always that we're gonna go through two primary places. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open it up and get ready for it. One is 1 Corinthians chapter four, that's in the New Testament. Again, that's, you just go to the Gospels, Romans, and then you'll hit Acts, Romans, and you'll hit Corinthians. And then we'll go to 1 Peter, which is further back, but also in chapter 4. And so I'm going to open up with 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and I'm going to close it with 1 Peter chapter 4. But as always, let's pray before we jump into our text today and ask God to bless our time together. All right, pray with me. Father, we want to pause as always and stop and acknowledge the fact that without you, we do not have what it takes, God, to read and understand and live out your word. And God, we acknowledge the fact that without your grace in our life, we can't obey what you have told us. We cannot properly see ourselves. We can't understand the truth. And so God, as we open up your word now, we pray for the power of your Holy Spirit to come and fill us whether we're gathered together online or in person. God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would show up, speak to us, bless your word, because we know that that is what he does. We see that even in Genesis, when the Holy Spirit was hovering over the face of the deep, and then you spoke, and he is the one who brought your word to pass. And so, God, we pray that you would do that today. God, we know as well that I can't communicate this without you. And so I pray that you would give me grace by the power of your spirit to preach this in a way that honors you, because that is why we do it, but then also is helpful to us and then help us all to hear it and to see it, to listen to what the spirit is saying to us, because we know, God, you do have a word for us because you gave us your word. And so as we open it now, God, we pray that you would speak to us. We ask it in Jesus name. Amen. All right, so what I want us to talk about today in this session is simply, what does it mean to join our family? What does it mean to be a part of the local church where you actually make a commitment and say, yeah, these are my people. This is who I want to do life with. This is where I want to gather together as 
the global body of Christ as this you know, church shows up in this local expression. And so the idea of joining a church sometimes can be a foreign concept because the concept of membership in a local church some people say it's not biblical in the sense that it's not clearly laid out in the text of like, yes, you should join this church in a way that, you know, you should pray, you should read your Bible, you should serve, you should live life on mission. But what we do see in the New Testament is Paul writing, Peter writing, James, different people to local churches and instructing them, instructing them how to live, instructing them how to see themselves. And so what I want us to do today is look at one particular local church in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and how Paul was speaking to them and how the local church embodied what the global church was all about and saying, these are my people, this is the family of God, this is who I'm going to work with to build up the family. And so when you're a part of a local church, the expectation is that there are some things that that we have to do, there are some things that we have to rightly understand about who God is, about who we are, so that we can affirmatively say, yes, I'm a part of this body, I'm a part of these believers. And one of those texts that I really like, which for us as a local church, informs even how we communicate about this, which again, I just was kind of talking about, and I'll reference later, how we should see ourselves. And Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and we're just going to look at the first two verses, verses one and two. So I'm going to read them both to you, and then we'll chat about it, all right? This is Paul writing to the Corinthian church, and he says this. This is how one should regard us. This is how one should regard us, which simply means this is how you should think about me. This is how you should see me. When I come to your mind, this is what you should think when you think of me or think of us. And he says, one, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. So two things that he says here that I want us to see, which really informs our whole process of how you become a part of Revolution Church. He says, this is how you should see us. First and foremost, he says, you should see us as servants of Christ. Now, this is fascinating to me because there's a lot of titles or there's a lot of things that Paul could have called himself. He could have called himself apostle. He, he, I mean, he gives us later in other places in the New Testament, all his accolades. He was a Jewish person. He was raised up in the Jewish faith. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He had a lot of things that were true about him. But the one thing that he uses to describe himself more than anything else had nothing to do with his accolades, had nothing to do with his achievements, had nothing to do with how he identified himself with certain groups of people. The one thing that he said over every other thing was, first and foremost, I'm a servant of Christ. Now, I want you to think about that. If I asked you a question, I said, okay, hey, how do you want people to regard you? How do you want people to think about you? When they think about your name, what is the one thing that you want them to know more than anything? It's a great question to think about. Now think about all the things that you portray to people that you are. You know, most of you know I'm from Texas originally, and there is no shortage of pride in my heart about being a Texan. Right? I want people to know I'm a Texan. 
Born and raised, best country on the planet, right? You were like, it's not a country. It is. We just voluntarily joined as a state. We can secede at any time, right? See, even I'm talking about we, it's people, right? It's my group. I'm a, I'm a Texan. And, and then it's like, because I'm a Texan, I'm a, naturally a Dallas Cowboys fan. America's team, right? And this is when y'all were like, I knew I didn't like that kid. Knew it. <laughs> Right, and the old joke at, at, at Cowboys Stadium that was, is now torn down is it had a hole in the roof so that God could watch his team. For real, that's what we said. We said things like that. I know, it's dumb. And then we blew it up, right? And we've blown up the whole franchise since then. But, but I'm a fan of that, right? I'm a, I'm a Longhorns fan. Hook them, baby. And you know that you're good when everybody uses as their sign the reverse of your sign. I'm like, y'all hate much, you know? Like all the people that, that hate us, they don't have a sign. It's just the opposite of our sign. I'm like, get a sign, bro. How lame are you that you have to use our sign wrongly? Jealous much, right? But think about that. I mean, I wear Longhorn shirts. I wear cowboy shirts. I wear Texas shirts. Something that my family here in Georgia is now becoming aware of is the greatness of Bucky's. Yeah, can I get an amen? Come on, somebody. I was telling my friends about it, and they were like, bro, it's a gas station. I'm like, you don't understand. It's not a gas station. It's the Walmart of gas stations. It's not, we can't even call it a mini-mart. It's a mega mart. It's got a hundred gas pumps. And I tell people, if you're going to Florida, now by God's grace, there's one if you're going to Tennessee too. Just opened up this last week. People are like, what is up with Bucky's? I'm like, you don't know until you go. And this summer we went back to Texas and I hit five different Bucky's and every time, no lie, spent almost a hundred dollars. <laughs> Not on even gas. Shirts, mugs, beaver nuggets. You're like, what the heck is that? You don't even know. I'm a Bucky's fan. But think about that. I mean, there's no shortage of, I'm, I'm Lindsay's husband. One of my greatest joys in life is when people identify me not as Pastor Jason, but like, oh, you're Lindsay's husband. Yes. Because before I'm a pastor, I'm her husband. Another great one is I am Jackson and Natalie's dad. I love that. When I go to, go to their sporting events and they don't know what I do, they just know me as my relationship to my kids. I love being a father. And if they would actually make me a mug that said the world's best dad, I'd use it. I do have one on the fridge though. Right? I mean, there's no shortage of things that I can identify myself by. And here's what I want you to hear me say. None of those things are bad. But none of those things, watch this, can be primary. None of them can be primary. Paul sets the stage for us by helping us understand the number one thing that he wants to be regarded as has nothing to do with his titles, has nothing to do with who he's a fan of, has nothing to do with other associations. His identity 
First and foremost is he's a servant of Christ. He's a servant. Now, what's interesting about this word servant, there's multiple you know, Greek New Testament words for the word servant. The most popular one is a Greek word called doulos, which means bond servant. And the idea of that is the actual act of serving. But this word here is a different Greek word, and it's not so much about the reference to an act. It's more of a reference to a position. So you have the position and then you have the act. And so they're not opposed to each other. They're just used differently. This one is more of a military term. And the idea of this one is simply this. If you want to know the word servant, it means this. One who is subject to another's authority. One who's subject to another's authority. So think about this. Paul primarily defines himself by who he's subject to. He said, I am subject to the authority of Christ. If you want to know about me, what you need to know is about the one who's in charge of me. You need to know about the one who's over me. Now, this is a concept that, let's just be straight, in 21st century world, we don't like this. In fact, if you asked me what the greatest crisis on the planet today, I would say it's not ISIS, it's not the Taliban, it's not the virus. Are all those things bad and evil? Yes. The greatest crisis on the world today, though, is us living as though we are not subject to God's authority. It's the greatest crisis. Because if every human being understood that they were subject to another's authority, then they would obey. Which is why Jesus places obedience as the primary way you show your love for God. Showing your love for God is not bad or wrong to do through song. through standing and singing or through sitting and hearing. That's good and right. But worship, watch this. Worship is not something about just we say or we sing. It's about what we do. It's our whole life. So what is worship? Worship is simply this. Living my life subject to another. That's worship. That's how I show, yes, He's my God. I'm subject to him. So again, let me ask the question. How do you want people to regard you? As a Georgia fan? As a tech fan? As an engineer? As a doctor? I mean, we love titles, don't we? Don't you get my title wrong. We love those. And now are titles bad? No. But here's all I'm saying. But they are all subject to the greatest thing that could be said about you, and you're a servant of Christ. That is first and foremost your title. Let me say it to you like this. I was thinking about this message, and I was like, well, I better live this out. So before I came out and preached it today, I went and changed the profiles on my social media accounts. No lie, for real. You can go check them later. It says now... Saved by grace, first to be a servant of Christ, then a husband, then a father, then a pastor, in that order. Because I am first 
a servant. And the reason why I'm stressing this is because this, if you're going to be a part of the family of God, there's no other way to see yourself. That is the right way to see yourself. That is your first identity. And here's what the world, and then by you know, proxy, the devil is going to try to get you to do. Oh, just reverse the order of your identity. See, there's a lot of people that will say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. But what they say first is something else. I'm this who believes in Jesus. And here's all, whatever's at the top informs everything else. And what's crazy to me is people will put as their first thing something that is contrary to the word of God. And then they're going to act like, well, I'm that and I'm Christian. Well, according to the word of God, if you're that, you're not Christian. And here's why. Because that is informing, informing your Christianness, not your Christianness informing that. So that is primary. Now, there's another thing that Paul says here. I mean, I could preach all day just on these two. But this is just the intro. Second thing he says here is, I'm not just servant, I'm steward. One is about position. The second is about responsibility. The word steward, the best way that we could say this in English would be manager. Manager. Now, the idea of management is this. I don't own it, but I'm responsible for it. That's the idea of management. Like if I'm in management in my company, I'm not the CEO, I'm not the board, I'm not the boss, I'm a manager. Someone else owns this thing, but I'm responsible to manage this in the way that they see fit. Let me give you the, this is not even necessarily the biblical definition of stewardship. This is just comes from the dictionary, all right? I've got it here on the screen. Here's what the concept of stewardship is. The responsible overseeing and protecting, or protection, of something, now watch this, considered worth caring for and preserving. The responsible overseeing and protection of something considered worth caring for and preserving. So the concept of being a steward is saying, I'm responsible for something. And this something that Paul says he's responsible for is the mysteries of God. Now, let me ask you another question. Are the mysteries of God worth caring for and preserving? Amen, they are. Yeah. Well, you say, well, Jason, what do you mean by the mysteries of God? Well, the mysteries of God, biblically, is a very interesting concept. If you want a reference verse, I would tell you to write down Deuteronomy 29, 29. I'm not, I don't have it on the screen, but I'll just reference it to you. It's where Moses says this. The mysteries of God are for him, but the things revealed are for us and our children forever. Watch this. So that we might walk in his ways. So the concept of the mysteries of God is what we would simply call today revelation. Now, when I say revelation, I'm not just referring to the book of revelation. And again, pet peeve, it's not revelations. It ain't plural. It's revelation. It's one. And the reason why the book of revelation is at the back of your Bible 
is it was the final word through the apostle John that wrapped up God's revealed will to us as humans. So it closed what's called the canon. The canon is simply the canon of scripture. All 66 books of the what we call today the Bible. So the Bible, which is just the word for book, that's what it means. The Bible is a book about the mysteries of God that God has revealed to us. And the statement that Moses made in Deuteronomy was this. The things that he hasn't revealed to us, which in Moses' time was quite a bit. We have more revelation now than Moses had then. So there's mysteries that have been unlocked after Moses because Jesus showed up and showed us. But there are still some things that God hasn't showed us. There's still this word mysteries of God is literally the Greek word mysterion. It's kind of easy to see where we get our English word from, right? God is a mystery. And all I can tell you about him is what he has told us about himself. Anything beyond that, it's not for me. It's for him. It's his. I don't know. There's no way that this peanut brain can understand God. But watch this. What Moses did say, though, is what he did reveal, they are for us forever. So here's what Paul says. What he's a steward of is simply the revelation of God. He's responsible for making sure, watch this, that the word of God is protected because it's worth preserving. You with me when I say that? Now, Isaiah says this, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. So the word of God and humans will live forever with God or without God, depending upon how you respond to the word. But the word is going to live forever. So I'm not saying that, that God needs us to protect the word in the sense that he can't protect it himself. But what I'm saying is simply this. God owns it and he has asked us, the church, the people of God, to manage it in such a way that we remain faithful to it. That's the concept of stewardship. Now, you can apply this to your own life. God owns everything in your life. He owns you. He created you. The oxygen that you breathe, the trees that filter the CO2 that you emit, he owns all that. Everything that you have, all your gifts, all the grace, everything about you is his. It's not yours. You're simply a steward of it, a manager of it. And Jesus clearly says, you and I will give an account for how we steward it. But here's what I want to kind of elevate for you. God is not just asking you to steward well your wealth. He's also asking you to steward well his word. You say, well, how do I do that, pastor? You live subject to it. You live subject to it. You live underneath the authority of it. Showing, yes, that is the revealed will of God. Let me show you what you don't do. You don't do what a lot of people do today. I'm like, well, 
I don't really think that's what it says. You put yourself equal to the word of God or worse yet, you put the word of God under you and you over it instead of putting yourself under it and says, you know what? For 2000 years, this is what church history has said. It said, I'm going to stick with that. That's why it's called orthodoxy, right doctrine. Now, let me get into some specifics again about our local church. So I've set that up. That's true for everybody. Well, when you join our church, when you become a part of our local church called Revolution Church, we don't call you a member. Now, if you have any kind of church background or church history, you probably have joined other churches in your past. And when you joined the church, you became a member of it. But the idea of membership, to me, and this is one of those weird things that when I started going to church and I, and I started feeling like you know the church had this two classes of people, members and non-members, insiders and outsiders. And I'll never forget one church I was on staff at. We had a list of rules in our student ministry. And the rules were, you could only come if you were a member or a guest of a member. And I thought to myself, what is this, a country club? I thought the church was for everybody. What do you mean for members or guests of members? We're more cared, we care more about pool tables now than we do people? Now, some of us have been a part of churches like that, right? But when you join our church, here's what we're saying to you. We don't call it members. We call it stewards. Why? Here's a point. You might want to write this down. One of the greatest phrases I think we've ever created. I'm biased, though. Members have rights. Stewards have responsibilities. Members have rights. Stewards have responsibilities. Let me say it to you like this. When you join our family... You don't get an assigned seat in a green jacket. You get the back seat and a towel. Some thought that was funny. Others were like, oh, what's he mean by a towel? It ain't a golfing towel. It's a servant's towel. Let me say it to you like this. The same kind of towel that Jesus wrapped around his arm when he washed his disciples' feet. That's the kind of tell. Why? Because we want to be real clear about something here at our church. When you join our church, you don't get rights and benefits. You got those when you join Jesus's church, the global church. You got the right to be called the son of God. But when you join the local church, you get responsibilities. And what are those responsibilities summed up in these two words that Paul says? You are now a servant of Christ and a steward of the word. You are now responsible for making sure that the local church is built up in the word of God. And so when it comes to joining our church, we want to be clear about something. When you're joining our church, you're not joining a cruise ship. You're joining a battleship. You're not joining a, a, a cruise ship where we're going to just all sing on the deck in our chairs, kumbaya, until Jesus comes. We're saying no. You're going to go through boot camp. We call that welcome track. You're going to get a role. We call that a team member and a group member. And you're going to be a servant because you care more about the word of God advancing than you do anything else in your life. You're getting a responsibility. Now, here's what's awesome. Deep down in every human heart begs this one question. I want to give my life to something 
greater than myself. And can I tell you something, church? There's nothing greater to give your life to than the advancement of the word of God. Because it's the only thing that will last forever. You know what won't last forever? College football championships. And I've said this before. You think God's up there in heaven and be like, look at these cats. They're impressive. They can get a ball made of pigskin across a white line. Dang. Woo! Man. Jesus is like, yeah, well, I, feed, I defeated death, the devil, and hell. Might be a little bit better. Now, is there anything wrong with college football championships? No. I hope my team wins one, and I hope your team does too. But if we face each other, I hope I beat you. But I'm not going to let that determine my happiness or my joy or ruin my Saturday. I'm not going to let my life revolve around a game because more than anything, I'm a servant of Christ and a steward of the mysteries of God because that's the only thing that's going to last. So when you join our church, you become a steward. Now, we have some expectations of our stewards. And our stewards have or should have some expectations of the church. Now, before I give you some of what those expectations are, let me give you the four things, and I'll have these on the screen, that make for valid or healthy expectations. Because if these four things aren't met, it's not right to expect them. Now, this is true of the church, but it's also true of any relationship. Because one of our greatest sources of frustration and unhappiness in the world today is unmet expectations. So I'm going to help you here, and this is discipleship, all right? This will help your marriage if you'll pay attention. So help any relationship, this will help your job if you'll pay attention. These four things have to be true about expectations. Let me give them to you. Number one, expectations to be healthy first have to be conscious. Conscious. Expectations have to be something that we are aware of. How many of you got into your relationship, your marriage, or some other relationship, and you had expectations that you weren't even aware of until they went unmet? Right? You're like, oh, I didn't even realize that I expected you to do that until you didn't do it, and now I'm so mad at you. But it's not fair. Watch this. It's not fair to be mad at the other person if they didn't meet your expectation and you weren't even aware of it. Number two, realistic. Expectations have to be realistic and within the realm of possibility. They have to be realistic, which means they're not unrealistic, and they have to actually be, be possible. It's something I could do. Number three, spoken. Expectations have to be spoken and not assumed. Spoken and not assumed. This one right here will get you every time. We cannot read your mind. I mean, and, and I'm just going to say this from the husband's perspective because that's all I know. Wives, if you didn't tell us, it ain't fair to hold us to it. Do not say the phrase, well, you should just know. Well, I don't know if you figured this out yet, but we're not female. Our brains don't work like yours do. We won't just know. Now, let me speak to the other side. Husbands, to your wives, it's not fair 
for you to hold them to something that you haven't spoken either. Or watch this, that may be unrealistic. They can't even do. Number four, this one's huge. After expectations are conscious, realistic, and spoken, it has to be agreed upon. Agreed upon. Expectations have to be mutually agreed upon. If not, they're not valid. So again, think about this, any relationship you have. You should sit down with the person and say, all right, let's go over what we expect. What are you aware of that is realistic, but you haven't spoken to me yet? Speak it to me and let me agree or disagree to that. This right here will solve 95% of all your relationship problems. Now, here's why I'm bringing this up in the church. Because people join our family. It's a group of people just like any other group. And they will come in with unconscious, unrealistic, unspoken expectations that we never agree to. And if that happens in church, you're going to be frustrated. Which is why a lot of people get frustrated. And better yet, going back to session two, when those go unmet, they start gossiping to everybody else instead of help handling them in a healthy way, and then it all blows up. It's like, well, if you would have simply sat down and allowed people in the church, and maybe staff members or not, maybe pastors or not, and just simply went through this process, and they said, well, I can't agree to that. That's not realistic. Okay, well, then I won't expect it. Are you with me? All right, two categories of expectations. One, expectations... I'm going to start with us, the church. Expectations that stewards should have, people that join our church should have of our church. Let me just give you a couple here. You should expect that we preach the gospel of Jesus and teach from the Bible while staying on guard against false teachers. Here's why that's number one. Because the greatest thing that we as pastors are stewarding is the word of God. Let me say this without trying to sound mean, but we have to steward the word of God before we steward the people of God. Because if I steward the people of God, then I will let the people of God twist the word of God. It's the word of God first. Now, the second one wants this. We will joyfully keep watch over the souls of the people of Revolution Church knowing that we will give an account to God for your spiritual welfare. We will give an account. The Bible's clear about that. This is why it says not many people should want to be teachers or pastors because we will be held to a higher standard because I'm not only responsible for my life, my family's life, but the church's life. So you should expect that we would do that. You should expect that we would build the church under Jesus's authority and submit to the spirit's leading. You should expect that we would, now watch this, take the lead and set in an example, and join you in joyfully fulfilling the responsibilities of the stewardship covenant. Let me say it to you like this. I fully expect our staff to fulfill the exact same thing we're asking you to fulfill and take the lead on it. Because if we are not taking the lead on it, then we're not setting a proper example for you. This is why I expect our, our staff to serve. I expect our staff to tithe. Because if they're not tithing, watch this, they're robbing twice. They're robbing from God and they're robbing from the church because they're not doing the very thing that's paying their salaries. 
We should set the example for you. You should expect that. Let me leave with, leave with this one. There's more, but this is all I have time for. That we prayerfully seek God's will for our church and steward her resources based upon our understanding of the scriptures and the guidance of the spirit. You should ex expect responsible stewardship of the word, the people, the finances. You should expect that. Now, other category. Expectations that the church has for stewards. Now, again, all of these are just simply biblical expectations. Number one, you agree with our statement of faith that's on our website. You agree that the statement of faith that we have put out, and, and we're constantly working on that because issues will arise and we have to make clarifications about what we believe. Because it was accepted 20 years ago that this is what this was, and now it's not anymore in culture. So we have to make a statement and say, well, this is what the word of God says. It doesn't matter what culture says. So you would, we expect that you would agree to that. Number two, we expect that you've trusted Jesus for salvation and have been biblically baptized. The Bible is clear about those steps. One is entrance into the global family. One is entrance into the local family. We've already talked about that. Number three, we expect that you will submit to the scriptures as the final authority on all issues of life and belief. Again, we expect you to be a steward of the same word. To say, yeah, the word informs, I'm subject to the authority of the word of God. Next one, you will submit to the pastors and other appointed leaders in the church. Again, the Bible's clear. Submit to those above you that are preaching and teaching to you because they're keeping watch over your souls. And it says this, let them do that joyfully. Oh, Jesus, would you answer that prayer? Now, again, nine times out of 10, you guys are so great about that. Next one, you would commit to protect and build up our family. We've already talked about that in our culture statements. So you wouldn't gossip. You wouldn't tear down. You'll prioritize church gathering, serving on a team, being in a community group, simply the discipleship process. You would live your life on mission and seek to bless others. Lastly, let me close with this, that you would live out our family culture statements of here's the type of family that we are and how we act, how it's like us to act. So all of those are conscious, we're aware of them. They're realistic because they're biblically based. They're spoken. And now the question is simply, will you agree to them? Can we mutually agree? So after our gathering today, you could join our family. Very simply, you have an opportunity. Scan the QR code, our digital connection card. Say, I want to be a steward. We'll send you the form. You go through it and you say, yes, I can agree to all those expectations. I'm in. I want to be a servant and a steward of this local church. Now, let me close with this set of scriptures, because if I haven't convinced you yet, let me press on the word of God to you one last time. First Peter chapter four, first Peter chapter four. Now we heard from Paul. Now let's hear from Peter. How does he see this issue? Verses 10 and 11. He says, as each has received a gift. Now I told you this before the word, their gift is literally the Greek word charisma. We all have received a gift, every single one of us. Now, here's the difference. We don't all receive the same gift. We all do get the same fruit, that's discipleship. We don't all get the same gift, that's leadership. But we are all, watch this, responsible. 
to use our gift to do what? Use it to serve one another. Now watch this, as good, what's that next word there? Come on, say it like you mean it, baby. Let me set you up, hold on, all right? Say it like it's your team next Saturday. As good what? There we go. As good stewards of God's very grace. For whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, that's the doulos, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So that's the command, all right? God's given you a gift. He wants you to use it to serve others. Now, this is such an indictment on our culture today because God didn't give you your gifts to glorify yourself. He didn't give you your gifts and my gifts to make much of ourselves. He gave it to us to serve others. And watch this. Look at verse 11, the rest of verse 11, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. And everybody said, come on, amen. And amen is simply the word, let it be. It's true. So let me, let me say this. If you don't use your gifts, if I don't use my gifts in a responsible way to serve one another, it robs God of glory. Well, there's two ways that that could happen. One, you're a part of the family, you have a gift, and you're not serving. Do you realize you just coming and sitting and serving, or or, sitting and not serving, robs God of glory? Because he gave you a gift. You're a gifted individual. Do you know that? Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm a gifted individual. Go ahead, say it. I'm a gifted individual. But turn to the other neighbor and say, but I'm going to use it to serve you. If you don't do that, they don't get help and he doesn't get glory. So this is why we call it stewardship. You've been given a gift, the gift of grace to believe and the gift of grace to behave, to serve, and God will give you more grace to do it. And if you do that well, It glorifies God. Because see, if I serve someone and they thank me and I don't deflect that and say, man, listen, the only reason I'm able to serve you is because God has served me. Only reason I'm able to gift this to you is because God has gifted me. If we don't deflect that and we take, well, thank you. You're right. I am pretty, pretty awesome that I served you. Jesus says, you got your reward. But if we will use our gifts to serve one another, to build up the body of Christ, not taking credit for it, but taking responsibility for it, it'll glorify God. And when we meet God, we will hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4. Moreover, it is required of stewards to be faithful. So church, If you want to be a part of the mission of God on the planet through this local church, we would love to have you use your gifts to serve others and steward well the responsibilities that God has given you for our good and his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you 
for your grace in our life. Because of Jesus, who came and served us, who laid down his life for us, we have been given grace to have the rights and privileges as daughters and sons, as children of God. But God, we know that there are people here today who haven't heard the good news of the gospel yet that Jesus served them. You're not looking for them to serve you to become a believer. You're looking for them to let you serve them by giving them what they could never give themselves, which is your grace. So God, I pray right now for people who haven't trusted Jesus that you would save them. Nobody looking around or talking here as we close. I'm gonna be as bold as I can. If you do not know Jesus, you are headed for destruction. But God loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you, to serve you, to give his life as a ransom. So that if you would trust in him, you would have grace. So if you want to trust Jesus today and be saved, all you simply have to do is confess, which we do that. You can pray with me. You don't have to do it out loud. And you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. You'll be saved. It goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me. That you sent your son, Jesus, in my place for my sin. I admit that I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Forgive me for what I've done wrong. Thank you for loving me that you paid the price for my sins. I'm trusting in Jesus alone. Nobody looking around or talking, if you just prayed to trust Jesus today, would you just simply lift up your hand so we can see that? Don't be ashamed, man. Just lift it up. Thank you. If you're online, just a second, you'll have an opportunity to fill out. In fact, you can do it now. Fill out our digital connection card. Let us know. And then those of us who have trusted Jesus, but maybe we're not seeing ourselves correctly. We're not seeing ourselves as first and foremost servants of Christ. I pray today that the Holy Spirit has convicted you to get your life right. It's not a game we're playing. Cheer for your team, yes, but serve your heart out for Christ. Because you're a steward. Whether you join our church or not, you're a steward and you will give an account for your life. If COVID hasn't woken you up yet, if the world economy hasn't woken you up yet, I don't know what will. So church, I'm praying that we come out of this more committed to serving Christ, more committed to steward the word of God because God has given us the responsibility to do it and I don't know about you, but I'm going to build my life on the one thing that's going to last forever, and that's Jesus and his word. So if you're in, jump in, sign up, join the family, get on a team, join a group, help us build up the church. If this ain't the church, that's fine. We love other local churches. We're actually friends. It's crazy. Join a church, build it up. There's a lot of people who's like, I'm so worried about the church. I'm not. It's Jesus' church and he'll build it. I'm worried about Christians who act like the church is the problem. No, it's sin. The flesh and the devil 
And Jesus defeated them. And so I'm going to, it's darkness. So let's take the light. Jesus, we ask you to do this. Father, would you bless it? In Jesus' name, amen. I love you, church.